fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Happy Friday to you. This is Friday the 13th, 2023. It's October the 13th. And today we're actually celebrating an incredible anniversary. 106 years ago today was the last of the six appearances of Our Lady in Fatima, Portugal in 1917. And on this day, on October the 13th in 1917, the greatest public miracle since New Testament times took place, the miracle of the sun, witnessed live by some say as many as 100,000 people. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. What does this have to do with the current world situation, all the evils that we face? Because one of the things that Our Lady promised was that an era of peace would be ushered in, and we need her more than ever. We need her intercession more than we ever could imagine. We have to plead for her as the Queen of Peace to pray uh, for the world and all the evils that are befalling, and especially right now in the Middle East. The number to call, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, toll free. To talk to me on the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, you can also email the program. It's great to get show ideas from you, questions, comments. The address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And you can find me on the X app, too. The uh, handle is at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. Here's another thing about this date as well in history. Just a few days ago, we talked about the Feast of the Archangels, and of course, we invoke St. Michael the Archangel, especially in our battle against evil. Now, on September the 29th was the Feast of the Archangels, Michael, Raphael, Gabriel. And on this date, in 1884, I, I, I didn't quite get the connection until earlier today. It was on this day in 1884 that Pope Leo XIII had that horrific vision of Satan and all of his minions descending upon the Vatican, descending upon Rome, and the idea that the devil was going to wreak havoc in the church, or wanted to do so. And he had this vision, which turned him ashen, and all his companions saw it, after which he composed the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. This happened on this day in 1884. Now, what's intriguing about that is that this is 33 years to the day before this final apparition at Fatima and the miracle of the sun in 1917. And another thing that people don't know about this is that St. Joseph was also involved in this last apparition. I think there's something there for us, too. So we'll talk about all of these things today on the Kale Clark Show. And we, we definitely need uh, the intercession of St. Joseph, as well as Our Lady, as we're uh, witnessing evil unleashed, uh, not only in the Middle East, but I find that here, even in North America, all of the masks are falling off of people. Um, it is, especially with respect to today being what was the leader of Hamas, who's, uh, of course, broadcasting from his uh, very comfy confines in a, in, a, in a mansion in Qatar somewhere, called on called essentially for, for a jihad all around the world, called for a day of rage in response to um, Israel's retaliation for the bloody attacks of, of Hamas that occurred on Saturday. Now, going to air tonight, I had, maybe you've heard of other things that have happened. I did hear about uh, in China, 
uh, at an Israeli, uh, um, uh, the, um, one, of the, one of the employees of the Israeli uh, outpost in, in China, the ambassador's um, residence, was stabbed by a jihadist. And also I heard that a teacher in France was also stabbed and killed uh, earlier today. So there may have been other things that have happened, and people were certainly on edge all around the world and in the United States as well. Uh, The fear of pogroms being uh, enacted in in places where where Jews gather to worship, and um, it's also very disturbing to see what's been going on at some of the leading universities in the United States, like Ivy League schools, uh, Columbia, Harvard, uh, in, in California, Stanford, and in places where just a few days ago, uh, faculty or, or member of the administration could be fired, unceremoniously fired, for what might be deemed a microaggression. If you use the wrong pronoun in referring to somebody, not their preferred pronoun, you could lose your job. Uh, anything perceived as a microaggression uh, might get you fired. How that has changed over the past couple of days to outright support of terrorist violence let's face it let's call it for what it is and uh the satirical website the babylon b and uh, seth dillon from the babylon b was was on relevant radio just a couple of days ago i don't think anybody could have said it better than the babylon b did one of their posts uh, over the last 24 hours said this of course a fake news story but it rings true harvard student leaves lecture on microaggressions to attend kill the jews rally uh that is um Unfortunately, right on the money. And so here, here's just a couple of things that, that have been happening over the last uh, a couple of days. Um, the Free Press uh, had a piece by Maya Sulkin in which she kind of detailed some of the things that were going on uh, at, the, at the campus level in, in the United States. And she herself, by the way, uh, had to leave Columbia University because she was bullied as a student. Uh, for her her Jewish heritage and also supporting uh, the country of Israel. Just on Wednesday at Columbia in New York City, uh, a female student was charged with assault after she beat an Israeli student with a stick outside of the school's main library. And just the next day, on Thursday, hundreds of students gathered outside of uh, the Alma Mater statue at Columbia to cheer on uh, the genocide committed by Hamas. Joseph Massad, who's a tenured professor at Columbia, had described the, the scene of what he called Palestinian fighters. Of course, the word terrorist is never used. Palestinian fighters from Gaza breaking through Israel's what he called prison fence. He called it awesome. Awesome. So for many hours, there were students waving uh, Palestinian flags and um, chanting anti-Zionist uh, slogans covering their faces. They didn't want to quote-unquote, be doxxed, uh, many of them wearing N95 masks, sunglasses. And people are, are Jewish students are not feeling safe at Columbia. In fact, um, a 19-year-old student named Sophie Casson was, was interviewed by the Free Press, and it's, it's supposed to be Parents Weekend at Columbia. She wanted her mother to come and, and attend a Shabbat, uh, Shabbat service uh, at um, a Jewish center on campus with her, and she didn't feel safe about that anymore because of the fact that Hamas chief Khaled Michel called for today's day of rage, a global jihad, if you will. And, and by the way, um, here's another quote. If you don't think this affects Christians, here's a quote from 
a commander of Hamas, Mahmoud al-Zahar. He also said, quote, the entire planet will be under our law. There will be no more Jews or Christian traitors, end of quote. So th this is not just happening at Columbia. Other things were happening all across the United States this week. On Tuesday in Philadelphia at Drexel University, a Jewish student's dorm room was set on fire. It's being investigated as a hate crime. At Stanford in California on Wednesday, a group called Students for Justice in Palestine hosted uh, what they called a teach-in. 250 people attended. And there was a student speaker that was there who told the crowd that the Israeli government's goal is to kill all Palestinians. Um, also at Stanford on Thursday, uh, one of the professors there, in a course that's mandatory in, in this particular program, it's an undergraduate course called Civil, Liberal, and Global Education. In the classroom, he divided his students into two groups, Jews and non-Jews, and the teacher told the Jewish students to gather their things, stand in a corner, and he told them, this is what Israel does to the Palestinians. The teacher then asked, how many people died in the Holocaust? A student said, six million. The teacher's response was, quote, colonizers killed more than six million. Israel is a colonizer, end of quote. George Mason University in Virginia, students were waving Palestinian flags and chanted, glory to the resistance fighters. At UCLA, again, hundreds of students. You can see videos of this, by the way, on X. Hundreds of students gathered chanting intifada, intifada, calling for violent uprisings against Israel. So how, how safe do you think uh, Jewish students feel on these campuses in the United States? Uh, in Washington, this was another uh, a very disturbing video at the University of Washington. Uh, a huge uh, pro-Hamas rally took place. Chants of, there is only one solution. That's what students were overheard to be saying. There is only one solution. And uh, there's a video of, of some young Jewish girls, students at, at the University of Washington, who were in tears, and they're, they're begging to one of the administrators that's there. They want us dead, the girls are saying. They want us dead. How are you allowing this? How are you allowing this? This really is very much shades of Germany in 1935, 1936. How is this acceptable in modern American society. And so uh, there's all kinds of, of uh, stories like this, of course, in, in big cities. The New York uh, Police Department has been ordered to be on high alert uh, all throughout the day. Uh, in Toronto, where I live, actually three men were arrested for uh, uttering threats against the uh, Community Hebrew Academy School uh, in, in Toronto. It's being investigated as a hate crime as well. And, of course, you all know about what happened in, in Sydney at the Opera House on Tuesday night. Over a thousand protesters um, chanting, gas the Jews. Um, in London, uh, Jewish schools, uh, students are being told not to wear uh, their kippahs, uh, the male students, to wear baseball caps instead over top, uh, trying to hide their, uh, they're being advised to hide their Jewish identity in public. Uh, this is incredibly sad. It's incredibly tragic. And uh, a marked contrast to that, by the way, was uh, Ben Sass, the former U.S. senator who is now the president at the University of Florida. He had a response to uh, potential violent gatherings like this and the, the attacks by Hamas on, on Israel. Now, here's what Ben Sass said. I, I really like Ben Sass. I, I think he's a... Um, I don't know if he's going to planning planning on getting back into politics at some point, but I always appreciated uh, what he brought to the table. This is what he uh, he wrote to uh, Jewish alumni 
of the University of Florida. Uh, he wrote this letter, and it's been posted online. He said, quote, Many of you have reached out about the vigil at the University of Florida on Monday night. I was overwhelmed to see a thousand gators standing with Israel. The chaos at the event, apparently there was an incident at the event, but it wasn't that kind of an incident. Uh, he explains, quote, The chaos at the event was unfortunate, was an unfortunate end to a beautiful gathering, but I wanted to let you know that there was no attack on campus. The injuries that have been reported were relatively minor. From what we can gather, a student passed out, and when a fellow student called for 911, other students nearby who were understandably on edge fled. While we all wish the night had ended differently, we are tremendously proud of the students who came to stand with Israel, and I hope that Rabbi Jonah and Rabbi uh, Burl reschedule the vigil. I hope the community reconvenes. Like you, I am tremendously grateful for our students. The University of Florida is home to the largest number of Jewish students at any university in this country. We are honored by and committed to that legacy. Our Jewish students and alumni around the world have been devastated by Hamas's terrorism. I will not tiptoe, this is Ben Saas talking, president of the University of Florida, quote, I will not tiptoe around this simple fact. What Hamas did is evil, and there is no defense for terrorism. This shouldn't be hard. Sadly, too many people in elite academia have been so weakened by their moral confusion that when they see videos of raped women, hear of a beheaded baby, or learn of a grandmother murdered in her home, the first reaction of some is to, quote-unquote, provide context and try to blame the raped women, beheaded baby, or the murdered grandmother. In other grotesque cases, they express simple support for the terrorists. This thinking isn't just wrong, it's sickening. It's dehumanizing. It's beneath people called to educate our next generation of Americans. I'm thankful to say I haven't seen examples of that here at the University of Florida, either from our faculty or our student body. As for us, our educational mission here begins with the recognition and explicit acknowledgement of human dignity, the same human dignity that Hamas terrorists openly scorn. Every single human life matters. We are committed to that truth. We will tell that truth. In the coming days, it is possible that anti-Israel protests will come to the University of Florida's campus. I have told our police chief and administration that this university always has two foundational commitments. We will protect our students, and we will protect speech. This is always true. Our Constitution protects the rights of people to make abject idiots of themselves. But I also want to be clear about this. We will protect our Jewish students from violence. If anti-Israel protests come... We will absolutely be ready to act if anyone dares to escalate beyond peaceful protest. Speech is protected. Violence and vandalism are not. I'm grateful to have heard from so many of you, like I said at the, at the vigil last night, when evil raises its head, as it has in recent days, it is up to men and women of conscience and courage to draw strength from truth and commit ourselves to the work of building something better, to the work of pursuing justice and pursuing peace. That is what we aim to do through education, compassion, and truth here at the University of Florida. Sincerely, Ben. End of quote. So that was uh, former U.S. Senator Ben Sass's letter. He's now the president of the University of Florida uh, that he wrote uh, to Jewish alumni of the institution. Is that so hard? Is that so difficult? Why can't other university presidents make such a statement that free speech will be protected, but Violence will, and intimidation will not be will not be tolerated at all. 
the president of Northwestern University in Chicago, has refused to comment on this. And so many other um, institutions of higher learning, their leaders have either defended uh, the pro-Hamas protests or just kind of checking out, in my view. And, and I don't know, I just, I just feel like, again, like I said off the top, people are really revealing who they truly are and, and what they truly stand for. And it just... The, as, as commentators have, have mentioned, and many people have been talking about this, the, the moral rot of what's going on at the elite level. Um, just the, the, How can you fire somebody for a, a microaggression one day and allow this the next? The juxtaposition is just, it's hard to fathom. But I think this is all kind of tied in to this horrific vision that Pope Leo XIII saw that the devil is on the loose. The, the demonic influence is real. There's no question about that. And um, I think this is, again, this is so important. Why we need to turn to our Lord, of course, the Prince of Peace, and why the events that happened on this day in 1917 are so crucial to understand for the future of the world, for Catholics, for Jews, for Muslims, for, for everyone, if peace is going to abound. So we're going to talk about what happened that day and how it affected uh, a, a couple of stories that I think you're really going to um, just really make us think. Um, the first was Roy Shoman, who was a, a Harvard-educated um, Jewish man who has become Catholic in part because of what happened on this day in 1917. The miracle of the sun. It, finding out about it changed his life. And the idea also of Our Lady of Fatima, Bishop Sheen, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, very famously talked about this years ago in the 1950s, and he talked about how Our Lady of Fatima is absolutely key in order to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the Muslim world. We'll talk about all these things after the break. It's the K.O. Clark Show, 888-914-9149. Be right back. the faith so you can explain it to others it's the kale clark show on relevant radio and the relevant radio app welcome back to the show on this friday october the 13th 2023 i, I don't think it's accidental that um, on this day that the leaders of hamas called for a global day of rage all around the world that this is the day that we remember our lady of fatima where Mary warned us about all kinds of evils that were to come in the world. This was in 1917. This was today, on this day in 1917, was the last of her six appearances in Fatima, the most important of the Marian apparitions of our time in terms of what we're dealing with in the world. And as she did say, though, that there would be an era of peace, that people need to turn back to God. They need to repent of all their sins and all the ways in which they offend her divine son, and what happened on this day was essentially, again, as I said off the top, probably the most, I think it might be the biggest public miracle since New Testament times. According to different estimates, there may have been as many as 100,000 people present to see this. Of course, uh, before in July, 
during her appearance in July of 1917, Our Lady had said, hey, I'm going to, there will be a sign so that everyone might believe that, that, yeah, I'm really appearing to you, these children of Fatima. So between 70,000 and 100,000 people gathered at Covadaria, uh, just outside of uh, the town of Fatima, Portugal, and they saw the sun spinning in the sky like a wheel, begin zigzagging overhead, plummeting towards planet Earth, or so it seemed. People were shrieking, panicking, fearful for their lives. They thought this was the end. But then the sun stopped just before impact shoots back into the sky. And secular reporters were there. Newspapers uh, had articles about this. Atheists were there that saw this. These events were recorded. It was a public event. It had been raining, uh, kind of monsoon-like, leading up to the miracle of the sun. The crowd there was absolutely soaked. But after this event, they were bone dry. Everything had been dried uh, by the sun. Here, Here are a couple of eyewitness reports from that day, October the 13th, 1917. There's so many of them out there, and you can uh, Google them, you can look them up. This one is from Dr. Jose Almeida Garrett. He actually wrote this, describing what he had seen that day. Quote, It must have been nearly 2 o'clock by the legal time and about midday by the sun. The sun, a few moments before, had broken through the thick layers of clouds which hit it. Remember, it, was, it had been raining heavily and shone clearly and intensely. I saw it as a disc with a clean-cut rim, luminous and shining, but which did not hurt the eyes. So uh, a lot of people say this in their, when they recount the, what happened that day, that you could, before the sun started to, to, to move in a, in a frightening fashion, people could, could look at the sun without any pain to their eyes. Uh, Dr. Garrett then went on to say this, that that the sun did not look like the moon. It could not have been confused with, for example, seeing the sun through fog, like an early morning in San Francisco or something. He said he was amazed that he could look at it uh, directly. He went on to say, quote, The sun's disk did not remain immobile. This was not the sparkling of a heavenly body, for it spun round on itself in a mad whirl. Then suddenly one heard a clamor, a cry of anguish breaking from all the people. The sun, whirling wildly, seemed to loosen itself from the firmament and advance threateningly upon the earth, as if to crush us with with its huge and fiery weight. The sensation during those moments was terrible. During the solar phenomenon, there were changes of color in the atmosphere. I saw everything in amethyst color. Objects around me, the sky and the atmosphere, were of the same color. I turned away and shut my eyes, keeping my hands before them. With my back still turned, I opened my eyes and saw that the landscape was the same purple color as before. All the phenomena which I have described were observed by me in a calm and serene state of mind without any emotional disturbance. End of quote. He's he's far from the only uh, testimony of this event. Like I said, secular papers wrote about this. Uh, another witness, Maria Carrera, said this, quote, It turned everything different colors, yellow, blue, white. It shook, the tr- it, it shook and trembled, talking about the sun. It seemed like a wheel of fire which was going to fall on the people. They cried out, We shall all be killed. We shall all be killed. Others called on Our Lady to save them and recited acts of contrition. One woman began to confess her sins out loud, saying that she had done this and done that. At last... The sun stopped moving, 
and we all breathed a sigh of relief. We were still alive, and the miracle which the children had foretold had taken place. End of quote. Yeah, can you imagine this? This woman is, <laughs> ah, this is the end. I better confess my sins publicly now. Just like in the days of the early church, you had to confess your sins in front of everybody. Wow. Uh, before private confession uh, became the norm. Uh, so she starts just, conf- I did this, I did that. And then when everybody's safe, she probably said, oh, guys, uh, listen, just uh, forget about all that stuff I just said. I was, uh, I was having a moment there. <laughs> no, but she was probably glad that she poured out her soul to God and, and got right. And so there's so many testimonies, public testimonies, and there's photographs. You can see them. If you Google them, Google image search for the miracle of the sun. You can see all the people staring up at the sky. Um, this is an impressive, impressive thing. Indeed, there's no question about that. And uh, somebody who was really, um, who didn't know anything about this. And by the way, we'll talk about how St. Joseph figures, figures into this. And actually, let's do that right now. Before we get it, let, let's, let's talk about St. Joseph and this uh, miracle right now, because this is, this is intriguing too, because people forget about the involvement of St. Joseph in all of this. Was he there? He was. He was, according to Sister Lucia. You're listening to the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. We'll get your phone calls in just a couple of minutes. So, Sister Lucia, in her diary, and she was the longest living of all the, the Fatima visionaries, uh, the two uh, siblings, Francisco and Jacinta Marto, canonized, uh, died very young. Lucia lived for a very long time, became a nun, a Carmelite nun, and uh, she had a lot to say, obviously, throughout her life, recounting uh, these. And she had other mystical experiences with Our Lady as well. And so this is what she's, when she wrote about what happened that day, um, she said this, quote, this is uh, Sister Lucia writing this, Opening her hands, Our Lady made them reflect on the sun, and as she ascended, the reflection of her light continued to be projected on the sun itself. After Our Lady had disappeared into the immense distance of the firmament, we beheld St. Joseph with the child Jesus and Our Lady, robed in white with a blue mantle, beside the sun. St. Joseph and the child Jesus appeared to bless the world, for they traced the sign of the cross with their hands. When a little later... This apparition disappeared. I saw our Lord and our Lady. Our Lord appeared to bless the world in the same manner as St. Joseph had done. End of quote. So this is really intriguing. I think a lot of people either don't know about this or they've forgotten about this. The appearance of St. Joseph as well. And uh, Father Raymond D'Souza, my fellow Canadian, wrote wrote a piece about this uh, about a year or so ago in in the National Catholic Register. and, And it's intriguing because when you see, how, how is it possible, how could St. Joseph bless the world along with Jesus? Don't forget, don't forget that St. Joseph is the patron of the universal church. And in terms of ushering in an era of peace for the world, he, he's got to be key. And, and there's something about this, there's something about the Holy Family that makes us understand that there will be no peace in the world unless there is peace in the family, which is the, the microcosm of, of the church, the church is made up of cells, families, and, and we all have problems in our families, and, and sin is something we have to deal with, no matter how great our family might be. But each of us as individuals, we come from a family, so the, the Holy Family is a, is a true a beacon of peace 
for the world. And and so yeah, he's not divine like his his divine son, uh, and he's not the greatest creature <laughs> ever created. That would be Our Lady, but he still has authority. He still has headship, paternity in the church, and, and uh, just as he did in the home of the Holy Family in Nazareth. And so he blesses as well, just as he would have blessed uh, Mary and Jesus in the home. How, how, how beautiful, how poignant is that? But it's interesting, too, that, and this is something Father D'Souza pointed out in his article, that very often when, when the church declares something to be true theologically, it's amazing how not long afterwards a supernatural occurrence takes place to kind of back it up. Heaven kind of says, yep, I'm giving it the divine seal of approval. So think about this. Think about this. St. Joseph was declared to be the patron of the Universal Church in the year 1870. Think about that. That's before all of this took place, obviously. And in 1854, think about this. In 1854, Pius IX defined the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. And that's why in 1858... (laughs) The local parish priest couldn't believe it when in Lourdes, when this little girl, Bernadette Subaru, came to the priest and said, yeah, this lady appeared. He's like, yeah, whatever. I, I don't buy this. And, oh, what's her name? <laughs> who, who is it? And, he, and she said, well, the lady told me I am the Immaculate Conception. I mean, the priest nearly fell off his chair because the dogma had just been defined four years earlier. And these kids did not know this. They weren't catechized about this yet. They didn't have the internet back then. News didn't travel as fast. So 1854, the dogma is defined by Pius IX. 1858, Mary appears saying, I am the Immaculate Conception. Let me back that up. 1870, St. Joseph is called patron of the Universal Church. What happened nine years after that? 1879, there was an apparition in Knock, in Ireland. Knock, knock, who's there? Well, it's some figures from heaven. We're talking about Our Lady. We're talking about St. Joseph. And who else is there? John the Apostle. Fifteen people very, of various ages. And, and this, is a, this is one I have to delve in a little bit more uh, personally, because I don't know that much about uh, the appearance at Knock. It's not something, uh, it's not an area of expertise for me. You're listening to The K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. So... It's, it's intriguing that St. Joseph, Our Lady, and then John the Apostle is also there because who cared for Our Lady? Obviously, St. Joseph did, was her guardian and protector. But then, after the crucifixion, on the cross, Jesus gives, the, Joseph has already passed on, the care of his mother to John the Apostle, the young apostle. So, really intriguing how they all appeared together. And the same thing happens at Fatima. The Holy Family is there Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. So that is really um, something that a lot of people don't know. So we need to ask for St. Joseph's intercession. I think part of of it, too, is when we see St. Joseph, we see true manhood. We see someone who cares for Our Lady and, and the young infant Christ and protects him. Where Contrast that with the brutality of the terrorists who invaded uh, Israel on Saturday, and what they did to women and children. Uh, unspeakable acts of terror, beheadings, burnings of bodies. I don't need to recount all the atrocities, but what a far cry from the image of a true man in St. Joseph who protects the weak, the vulnerable, 
who protects women and children, specifically Our Lady and the Infant Christ. So we need uh, his intercession in this crisis period uh, that we're in as well. But I wanted to share with you, and I, and I promised I'd share this with you, um, how this incredible miracle of the sun changed the life of Roy Showman, uh, who has become Catholic. Uh, he comes from a Jewish background. I studied under some of the leading rabbis in the United States, went to Harvard Business School. He, was, he really was on a great trajectory of worldly success. But he found himself to be very, very empty. And he had a, he had a mystical experience with God on the beach, and he didn't quite know who or what it was. But sometime after that, he went to visit a friend, and he talks about this uh, in his books. He's written a couple of interesting books uh, published by Ignatius Press. One is called uh, Salvation is from the Jews, which is a quote from Jesus, by the way. Uh, Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. And so it's all about the role of, of the Jews from Abraham to the second coming. Of course, Jesus is Jewish. Our Lady, our Jewish mother, is Jewish. The apostles are Jewish. So many members of the early church were Jewish who recognized that Jesus was the Messiah and that the church really is, is, the, is Israel with the Messiah having come. And now it's opened up to all the peoples of the world, which is, well, that was God's plan all along in salvation history, and, and now it's coming true. So anyways, Roy Shulman goes to visit a friend uh, who he went to school with at MIT. Wow, that's a pretty, pretty good uh, resume there. He goes to MIT and then to Harvard Business School. Anyways, he, he goes to visit this guy, and uh, the dude is like, he's kind of preoccupied, he's doing something else, and, and he's just kind of sitting around his apartment, he's waiting for his friend, and then he sees this book on the coffee table. And it's one of these huge, heavy coffee table books that kind of have a real good thump factor. You just kind of lay it on the table. And, and it's called The Hundred Greatest Miracles of Modern Times. It's like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So Roy Showman picks it up. He starts leafing through it. And he finds out there's a whole section in there about the appearances of the Virgin Mary at Fatima, including the miracle of the sun, which took place on October the 13th, 1917. And he's blown away by this. He's never heard of this before. He's like, what? A public miracle witnessed by almost 100,000 people? So he asks his friend, hey, did this really happen? And he's like, yeah. He's like, why didn't anybody tell me about this? I've never heard about this before. I've never seen this in a library. I've never heard about this in a history class. Because um, one of the things he said was that growing up in, in, in the synagogue, going to Hebrew school, he kept asking his, the rabbis, why did God perform miracles in Old Testament times, but not now? And he can never get a satisfactory answer from anybody. And now he finds out, hang on here, there, here's a miracle that's witnessed by 100,000 people. And, and we, we, of course, believe that miracles happen all the time, and a miracle happens every time. A, a, an incredible miracle happens every time the Mass is celebrated. Jesus Christ touches down on every altar in every Catholic church around the world when the consecration happens. So, so he, he was looking at the New Age. He was looking at all this stuff. He quickly left that behind. Then he has a dream in which he, and this is obviously a private revelation kind of deal, but he has a dream in which Mary appears to him, speaks to him, and he asks her questions, and he knows without a doubt that this is the Virgin Mary. And right away he's like, I have to get in touch with Jesus. I have to get in touch with Our Lady. He looked into some Protestant groups that were kind of around, but the way that they talked about Our Lady or didn't talk about Our Lady, he was like, "No, this can't, this can't be, this can't be right." So he eventually found his way into the Catholic Church. I, I'm, I'm omitting a lot of things from his story, but 
intriguing how, how Our Lady of Fatima and the Miracle of the Sun changed his life. And he went on to write a, another book called Honey from the Rock, Royce Showman, which is really the testimony of um, 16 prominent uh, Hebrew Catholics, uh, ethnically Jewish, who discovered Jesus as the Messiah, came into the Catholic Church throughout the ages. It's a, it's a really intriguing read. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. All right, um, let's go to let's go to Nancy in Chicago. Hey, Nancy. Hi, Kale. Um, I was just going to ask you. I have, so a few of my kids are around your daughter's age, and they've seen um, the cartoon version of Fatima. But um, I was thinking about maybe showing them the the last one that came out, the most recent one, which makes it a little bit more real, maybe a little bit scarier. Hmm. Um, but I just wanted your thoughts on maybe how you're approaching it and, um, you know, how much to really tell you often think, well, I mean, our lady showed them these, mm. you know, Jacinta yeah. and them hell. And, yeah. um, yeah. just wanted to get your opinion. Yeah. That, that, so that's, yeah, that's, a, that's a tricky, tricky subject. I think it depends on the child. Um, some, some children might be very disturbed by, by talk of, of, <laughs> What happens to uh, to people who reject God in the afterlife, and uh, it might be very troubling. But other kids just kind of say, "Okay, you know, that's that's the way it is," and uh, they, don't, they don't think about it too much. Um, so I, I think it kind of depends, and and um, on the child, their temperament. Um, I, I don't know if I have any real great great advice um, on this. I think maybe I, I wouldn't necessarily uh, talk about the other day on the show. I talked about some of the visions of the afterlife uh saint faustina's tour of hell i wouldn't necessarily share that with a young child bunny stretch of the imagination i do find that older kids though um they they seem to be really interested in this stuff and they they're not they're not phased by this um that's a generality though so so i don't know if that's helpful at all I, it's it's a it's a good question and uh, i haven't had to struggle with that with with michaela um who's my only child so i don't i don't I haven't had experience of, of dealing with a child who's had a, an issue with, with that or found that incredibly uh, um, disturbing. I don't know if that helps in any way, but... Mm-hmm. But I do, yeah, I do no, think... I'll, I'll play by yeah, I do, I do think some of the... some of the There are different children's um, cartoons, if you will, and, and um, that have been produced about these events that I think are tastefully done in a way that um, isn't going to... Uh, uh, incite fear in a child or anything like that, and, and maybe even children's Catholic books uh, on the subject as well. So um, I can't rec- again. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but but I think yeah, you have to take take the child's temperament into account. That's 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 what I would say, and um, I hope that's of some help. Thank you, Nancy uh, in Chicago. Hey, we got to take a quick break right now on the Kale Clark Show. We will be right back after this. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call to talk to me for free. Got uh, something else that's pretty big to talk about in just a moment. We're going to be talking about what Archbishop Fulton Sheen said about Mary and the Muslims. It has a lot to do with today's what happened on this day in 1917, the miracle of the sun, Our Lady of Fatima, it's really intriguing, and you're not going to want to miss 
this, but I got to tell you, Advent is coming. <laughs> Christmas is coming. You feel a chill in the air. And you know what? The last few months of the year always go by so quickly. Advent's actually going to be here before you know it. Do you have a nativity set that you can place outside of your home this Advent and Christmas seasons? Well, we've got some good news for you. Thanks to a generous donor, we're going to be giving away 200 beautiful hand-painted nativity sets. They're each valued at over $500 U.S. So you can get in on one of this. You can you can try to win one of these by going to relevantradio.com slash set, S-E-T. Relevantradio.com slash set. Now, why are we talking about this now? We're so seemingly far from Advent, but not really. You've got to sign up before midnight central time on October the 15th, right? So that's that's coming up in just two days. So you got to do it now before you forget, relevantradio.com slash set. That's so we can get them out to you winners before the Advent season. And also, of course, you know that the National Eucharistic Congress is coming next July. You can start preparing now by watching Father Rocky's Eucharistic Encounters videos. And this week's, if you haven't seen it already, is very poignant. It's about a man whose first communion was his last communion, his only communion. And so there's going to be 33 beautiful stories about the Eucharist told by Father Rocky and all. You'll get a new video each week, and you can sign up. It's free at relevantradio.com slash encounter, relevantradio.com slash encounter. Well, just before we talk about what Archbishop Sheen said about Mary and evangelizing Muslims, we've got to show you, we've got to play for you what producer Jim's been working on so hard. It's the week that was on The Kale Clark Show. Check it out. Lieutenant Colonel Stephen DeLella served in the highest tiers of the military forces and has been involved in many combat missions around the world. The most recognizable, perhaps you might be familiar with, is the Battle of Mogadishu, an event later recounted in the book and then the movie Black Hawk Down. Is it pretty accurate to the actual events? A couple things really stood out. The reason for being there, I think, was the most importantly accurately portrayed portion of the movie. Mm. You know, there was horrible genocide going on in Somalia at the time. Somalia was ruled by warlords, and that was really Mr. Idid's plan was to uh, was to own the the shipments uh, and to be able to pay his warfighters uh, with food and medicines that were meant for the starving community. St. Teresa of Avila, she's very real when she talks about God and her relationship with God. And she once had this big setback and she kind of complained to our Lord. Now, if this is how you treat your friends, it's no wonder that you have so few of them. <laughs> and, and that's okay, God, God can handle that. And it, it's very humorous. But one time St. Teresa of Avila said that in her, in her mental prayer, in her time when she was actually making time for God and, and spending that time, maybe sitting in the, in the oratory, in the chapel, in front of the tabernacle, in front of our Eucharistic Lord, she didn't feel like she got anything out of it, so to speak. But she, she said this, she said, sometimes when I get, when I feel like I'm getting nothing out of my prayer, my conversational prayer with God, when I'm actually praying, the rest of the day, outside of my prayer time, he's speaking to me all the time. What does she mean? Maybe a few words of conversation that she had with one of the other nuns. She took it as a, as a word from God, and really it was God speaking through that person. An idea, some sort of illumination that, that, that struck her. And, and you'll experience times like that too, where you feel like, I'm just kind of putting in time here. But God is very pleased by that. After he received our Lord for the first time, Blessed Carlo started to really notice how many people didn't go to Mass. 
And how many people would never pop into a church to pray in front of the Blessed Sacrament? And he would say things like, hey, people will stand in line for hours to see a concert. He would probably say to people today, hey, why are you standing in line for this? But you won't go to see Jesus. Jesus Christ is there in the tabernacle. Or soccer matches. People will just go gaga over soccer in Italy, and that's where he grew up. American football would be the case here. And he'd say, hey, look, you know, forget about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. You need, you need to get to the real star of the show, who is Jesus. All right, that was the week that was. A little taste for you. If you missed any of the episodes, you can check them out at relevantradio.com slash our shows, or go to the Relevant Radio app. We've got them all archived for you in podcast form. And of course, our shows are also available wherever you get your podcasts. I want to highlight also the Faith Explained show. Uh, last couple of days, we've been dealing with old covenant controversies, very relevant for what's in the news these days, the tragic events around the world, God and violence. Uh, there's so much violence in the Old Testament that some people have gone so far as to say that the God of the Old Testament is a different God. From the God of Jesus Christ. That is not the case. Find out why. Check out the Faith Explained Old Covenant Controversies also in podcast form on the relevant radio app. As I mentioned, uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, a wonderful book called The World's First Love. Uh, it's all about Mary. It's a beautiful book published by Ignatius Press. You can grab it. Uh, he has a really interesting chapter in there about Mary and Muslims. And as you know, Islam didn't get going until six centuries after the time of Christ, and Muhammad never met an Orthodox Christian in his life. He did meet some Nestorians who were heretics, who did not believe that Mary was the mother of God. But a lot of Catholics are surprised when they find out that they really do, Muslims really do honor Mary. In fact, her name appears more in the Quran, more times than it does in the New Testament. There are 114 chapters in the Quran and Mary actually has a chapter named after her. The 19th chapter is called Miriam, which is, of course, Mary in Arabic. She's the only woman mentioned by name in the Quran. And in fact, Muslims believe that she is sinless. Intriguing, isn't it? I'm talking about the Immaculate Conception. It actually says in the Hadith, which is a, 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 tr a book of Islamic tradition, that there are only two human beings that Satan never touched at birth. Jesus and Mary. How about that? Uh, the Quran talks about the Annunciation, talks about the Visitation, the Nativity. And Muhammad had a daughter. His favorite daughter was named Fatima. And that, that, that definitely plays into what happened in Portugal in 1917. And in fact, Muhammad wrote this after she died. Tragically, Muhammad wrote, You, Fatima, shall be the most blessed of all women in paradise after Mary. So this is why uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen said that it is not an accident that Mary appeared in, of all places, a town called Fatima, Portugal. And this town was actually named for a Muslim princess. And he talks about this uh, in his book. It's an incredible story. He says that, and I'm going to quote uh, Archbishop Sheen here, he says, quote, the significance of our Blessed Mother Mary is that for the Muslims, she is the true Saida, or lady. The only possible serious rival to her in their creed would be Fatima, the daughter of Muhammad himself. But after the death of Fatima, Muhammad wrote, you shall be the most blessed of all the women in paradise after Mary. And in a variant of this text, Fatima is made to say, I surpass all the women except Mary. 
And this brings me to my second point, why the Blessed Mother in the 20th century should have revealed herself in, this, in the insignificant little village of Fatima, so that for all future generations she would be known as Our Lady of Fatima. Nothing ever happens out of heaven except with a finesse of all details. I believe that the Virgin chose to be known as Our Lady of Fatima as a pledge and a sign of hope to the Muslim people, and an assurance that they, who show her so much respect, will one day accept her divine son, too. And then Fulton Sheen talks about the, the history of the town. It's incredible. He said that, quote, the Muslims occupied Portugal for centuries. At the time when they were finally driven out, the last Muslim chief had a beautiful daughter by the name of Fatima. A Catholic boy fell in love with her, and for him, she not only stayed behind when the Muslims left, but even embraced the faith. The young husband was so much in love with her that he changed the name of the town where he lived to Fatima. And thus, the very place where Our Lady appeared in 1917 bears a historical connection to Fatima, the daughter of Muhammad. Mary is the advent of Christ, bringing Christ to the people before Christ himself is even born. And in an apologetic endeavor, it is always best to start with that which people already accept. Because the Muslims have a devotion to Mary, our missionaries should be satisfied to expand and develop that devotion with the full realization that our Blessed Lady will carry the Muslims the rest of the way to her Divine Son. She will not accept any devotion for herself, but will always bring anyone devoted to her to her Divine Son. End of quote. That's Archbishop Fulton Sheen. So th this is really incredible. And, uh, uh, he, he spoke also at a peace conference in 1951 in Lisbon, in Portugal. And he said this, um, he talked about Our Lady of Fatima being important. He said, for the millions of Muslims without whom there could never be true world peace. So we ask, we implore Our Lady of Fatima for her intercession, uh, for peace in the Middle East, for peace in our world. And uh, it can only come about through, of course, the power of God. Thanks for listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. I'm so glad that you're with me today. Oh, by the way, a real quick note. The Miracle of Our Lady of Fatima. It's a movie. Question earlier about a movie for kids in 1952. The whole thing might be on YouTube. Check it out. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Aylock took your phone calls. I'm Kale Clark. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.